now that the Hoosiers have Khalil Ware on campus, how do they avoid some of the pitfalls that plagued him at Oregon and make the best of this situation? You are Locked On Hoosiers, your daily podcast on the Indiana Hoosiers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, guys? Welcome into another episode of Locked on Hoosiers, your one and only daily one-stop shop for everything IU Athletics. I want to thank you guys for making us your first listen every single day. It's been all about Kalel Ware this week as the the Hoosiers land the big fish in the transfer portal. And obviously coming from Oregon, there were some questions about what happened there, what went good, what went wrong. So no one else uh, better to bring on than the host of Locked On Ducks, Spencer McLaughlin. Uh, Spencer, uh, this is one of my favorite parts about the Locked On Network is that instead of me having to pretend that I watched Oregon basketball <laughs> last season, yeah. I can just turn to an expert that did. So kind of start off in a general sense, what type of player was uh, Kalawar for you guys last season? We, we were constantly looking for flashes. And then mm-hmm. when we'd see them, we'd think, ooh, is this the moment? Is this the time? Is he turning the corner? Is this it? And then it never happened. You know, he came in with immense potential, a lot of hype, second highest rated recruit in program history, second only to Bowl Bowl, who unfortunately had his career cut short by injury, but was ridiculously good. So Bowl Bowl you know, was kind of setting the standard a little bit there. Now, I had talked going into the season trying to temper expectations just slightly in the early going with Ware compared to Bull because Bull came in and he was like 21-9 and two blocks a game. And mm-hmm. I watched Khalil Ware and thought about where he came from, you know, in Little Rock, Arkansas, and said, okay, this guy has a ridiculously high ceiling, top 10 NBA talent. He's not going to be that right away because when you're going up against, you know, kids who are – five foot 10 playing center or six foot four playing center and you're seven feet tall and you can jump out of the gym. It's not a fair fight. And so he wasn't going up against high level competition. So I thought there'd be an adjustment phase there. So when he wasn't playing a lot early, wasn't producing a lot early, I wasn't overreacting because to me, I was saying, okay, he's very raw. I think we kind of knew that. I thought there would be an adjustment phase. Let's just see him get better and continue to progress And then that never happened. And so what we were left with was one season of every time he was on the court, you noticed him because he's so big and he can Mm -hmm. make high impact plays. He's really athletic, great in the pick and roll game, catching lobs at the rim, good shot blocker, got a lot better at the defensive end as the year went on, as we'll talk about. But at the end of the day, it never clicked. It didn't pop. And he he is not even close. I mean, he's so far away. From his ceiling. I, I think his ceiling legitimately, Jacob, is a guy who averages 17, 8, and one to two blocks a game in the NBA, starting as a center of power forward. That that that's what his ceiling is. He's nowhere near that potential right now. So Oregon fans uh, unfortunately deal with the disappointment of another highly touted recruit on the basketball front not working out for the Ducks the way that we we'd hoped he would. And it was another disappointing season, unfortunately, in which Oregon missed the tournament for the second year in a row under Dane Altman, which has been just a massive rarity. And there were a lot of injuries this year, guys not playing up to their potential. And Khalil Ware was one of them. But 
that was, you know, one of several storylines this year. And frankly, I think the attention on him could have been even worse if there weren't other storylines with this team, such as, you know, Will Richardson becoming an anti-fan favorite and the injuries that they dealt with and the lineup shuffling around and all that sort of stuff. But still, this is one where Oregon fans left going, boy, I wish we'd been able to get more out of him. Interestingly, he's also the second highest rated, I guess, recruit, quote unquote, to come to uh, Bloomington. Romeo Langford being the other one, and that didn't work out well. Hopefully this one works out a little bit better. It's interesting just looking uh, at his game logs through the first uh, 17 games of the season. It was 21 minutes. Last 18 games, it was 11 minutes per game. Kind of with how things trended, as you talked about with the season going along, were you surprised that he entered the transfer portal? No, I, I was not. You know, I, I wanted him to come back to Oregon because I still saw the potential and it is still there. And, you know, I hope Mike Woodson will be able to unlock that for him at Indiana because I don't harbor any ill will towards him. You know, is it frustrating as a, a fan of the Ducks that he did not live up to, you know, the hype that, that we'd set for him, the expectations that we had and our you know goals as a as a team and for him individually? Yeah, it, it is 100 percent frustrating on on that front. But as the year went on, he, he kind of got in Dane Altman's doghouse at one point. And, and this is where context and thoughtful discussion is required when talking about Khalil Ware. And there's a great piece, by the way. I think it's like Arkansas sports. I, I, I could find it real quick and uh, re refer everybody to it because it's a really interesting piece. But the, the summary of it was basically that Khalil Ware and Dana Altman didn't click. And Khalil Ware wasn't actually primarily recruited by Dana Altman. He was recruited by Chris Crutchfield, who, before the season, took a head coaching job at the University mm -hmm. of Nebraska, Omaha. Mm -hmm. So Khalil Ware is a very quiet, very reserved kid. He is not a big talker. He's not a high energy player. He's not a big personality. He's just right. He's got stormtrooper yep. face all the time. <laughs> that's that's kind of how he rolled. And that's fine. But so when he went to Oregon and Crutchfield had been the guy that he related to most heavily, when that was removed from the equation, I don't think he was the sort of personality that was able to readily form a new bond new relationship with somebody to kind of help him fit in make things click and you know keep his drive and and energy alive all the time and so at one point in time during the season last year and I never thought I'd see this he was a healthy scratch for an entire game wow he Dana Altman just said nope we can't play him today he ended mm -hmm. up you know getting back in his favor a little bit and you know showed some nice improvement but ultimately, that was really telling where, you know, I, I don't think I, I had seen the game, but I, I checked the box score to kind of see what had happened and whatnot and do those lovely nows that we do at, uh, <laughs> at, at, at the Locked On Network. And I saw that Ware hadn't played. And so then I was going through looking at different people's Twitters, Twitter feeds saying, like, wait, did he did he have an injury? Did I miss that? Because I thought I thought he was healthy. And then I learned he's just nope, healthy scratch, didn't play. So. That, to me, is where the effort concerns have come from. I think those are valid. It doesn't mean he's locked into being that at Indiana. Does does not mean that at all. But people who have expressed those concerns and said, is he just kind of complacent? Is he just kind of there going through the motions? Does he play hard all the time? I think there's some validity to that. And I hope that that's what's able to change for him because it's one of the things that he does need to evolve with is – his energy level is just 
not there all the time. And I think it goes back to his high school days, right? When he watches yeah. high school highlight film, he it, it looks like an eighth grader playing against second graders sometimes, yeah. right? Because he's in Little Rock, Arkansas. There's nobody out there. There's no <laughs> other high-level Division One basketball talent in Little Rock. So he is such a, a physical outlier in that sense that I think he got used to just being able to rely on his physical traits. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's still a big guy. He's still one of the biggest or the biggest on the court. But now you got guys who are closer to your size, who are going to push you around. The game is a lot faster. I think when he lost Chris Crutchfield, it just never really, you know, gelled for him. And he wasn't able to make that adjustment. I thought it would be there, right? I thought early in the year, maybe he'd average like six points and four rebounds a game, which is what he ended up averaging for the whole season. And then I thought by the end of it, you know, you look back and say, yeah, over the last 20 games, he averaged, you know, 15, eight and two blocks. And that first part was there, but the second jump, unfortunately, never came. Was it just the the kind of the effort issues and things like that that led to him getting into Dana Altman's doghouse? You know, that that's impossible to know for sure. Yeah. I, I think with the comments that Dana Altman has made over the last couple of years in post-game press conferences about, you know, he hasn't had to run guys out of the gym. He, you know, was frustrated after the uh, NIT quarterfinals loss to Wisconsin, where, you know, he said, hey, if I'm the problem, then, you know, I'll go coach Juco. Those guys are dogs. Those guys are gym rats. And that, to me, might have been a subtle shot at more than just Khalil Ware, because, you know, those comments existed at the end of of the previous season as well. After the NIT loss in the second round of Texas A&M, Dane Altman said, yeah, we're going to have to change things up because, you know, I used to have to run guys like Peyton Pritchard, like Dylan Brooks out of the gym. And I don't have to do that right now. Right. And then Khalil Ware came in, those comments continued. So they preceded him, but they continued while he was there. And there were a couple instances where Dana Altman called out Khalil Ware specifically in post-game press conferences mm-hmm. and said, he's got to be better than that. He's got to do that. And I think we all know when, you know, you follow coaches press conferences consistently, it takes a lot for him to call out a player in yeah. a negative light, right? So yeah. I, I think when you look at, when you, when you try and read the tea leaves, you could say, yeah, the effort was a problem. I don't think it was the entire problem, but it was clearly a part of it because I don't know how else you could be someone who's that gifted mm-hmm. physically and be a healthy scratch for a game. So I, I can't confirm that. There's no insider info. I don't yeah. think they would you know, put anything out on, with, with regards to that anyway. But based on the quotes we've seen here and there, I think you can say it's a reasonable conclusion to reach. Let's talk about uh, the offensive side of the ball. Get some some insight into to how Kaloware played last season with the Ducks. But before we do that, I want to talk about one of our longtime sponsors here, Built Bar. If you guys are looking for a de- delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories, then you need to t- try the best tasting protein bar out there, Built. You guys got to try this. I- I've often I had one before I came on air. By the way, not kidding. Yeah. Mint brownie all the way. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm a big cookies and cream guy. Mm, uh, also good. Yeah. They they taste like candy bars, honestly. And I, I've accidentally called them candy bars multiple times. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. They're healthy for you. They taste amazing. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. You guys can get them over at built.com. You can also go to Walmart or Sam's Club. They're available at both of those locations. Uh, if you're close to a Sam's Club, you can get a 13-bar box with uh, brownie batter puff, churro puffs. Uh, if you're close to a Walmart, you can get that cookies and cream, the double chocolate bar, or coconut puff, or you can head to Built.com and get any or all the flavors that you guys are looking for. 
Go try them out today. You can thank us later. Let's talk about that offensive side of the ball. Uh, Ware seems like one of those guys, if you watch the highlight tape, you'll think he's uh, a terrific player because of those flashes that you were talking about. Um, he's a, listed as a center, obviously a seven-footer. Was he a guy that played more on the perimeter, more on the post? Did it seem like he had a pre uh, preference between those? Uh, offensively, you know, going into the year, I wanted him to be Oregon's starting power forward. Ended up not being that, and he played almost exclusively at center, but I wanted him to start alongside Enfali Dante and have him be a stretch four and, 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 you know, Dante dominate in the paint, but he was primarily played at center and you know he, he showed an ability to score really at two levels kind of in the painted area and beyond the three-point line mid-range game not there uh in, in a significant way you can hit some turnaround fallaways but those are you know closer to paint shots i think than mid-range at this point in time um that's not a dimension he's got in his offensive repertoire right now he could right i mean if you can shoot threes yeah. you can of course hit mid-range shots but He's a guy who is kind of the prototypical modern big, right? He's got a low post game. He's got decent touch. He knows how to shoot. He can hit a follow away, but he can step out. He can run a pick and pop. He can catch a three or catch a ball on the wing, hit a three against a zone or in transition. And he can, when he wants to, run the floor uh, decently well. But, you know, what, what I think he's best at offensively, I mentioned this earlier, He's catching lobs at the basket. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about the flashes with Khalil Ware that we did see at Oregon this year, those were big moments. I mean, when he would catch a lob at the rim, you'd go, how does he get up that high? How is he jumping that high? How is he doing that sort of stuff? That's just the sort of athlete that that he is. And he got really good at that as uh, the, as the year went on. And those plays were really, really good to the point where they would draw up lob plays for him out of a timeout or out of a out of a break or, you know, just in the flow of the offense. They would have specific lob plays for Khalil Ware because he's that sort of athlete. So that part of his game is fine. The rest of his offensive game, though, Jacob, I don't know if you want me to just kind of go right right into this. Keep but going, yeah, yeah, he, he's he's very raw. I'm, I mean, yeah. insanely raw. Like the, the potential is there, right? Like the maximum ceiling he could be dirk i mean when he puts up a turnaround fall away he he is seven feet tall he releases the ball you know at his head pretty much he's not the, the shot's not getting blocked he can shoot over double teams he can just turn and fade the other way the problem that i saw this year with his low post game was when the shots went in man they looked really good and you went oh top 10 nba pick but when they missed they missed in a way that made you think, did he start playing basketball a year ago? What, like, I mean, he would have some ugly, ugly bricks, and it's it's just refinement, right? It's gym time. It's game reps. It's putting in the work, putting in the time. And I think, you know, that that also contributed to, you know, people asking questions about his work ethic. And, and I've compared him, I think, very fairly to another seven-foot, five-star center McDonald's All-American that Oregon has on the roster, a guy by the name of Nate Biddle. When Nate Biddle got to Oregon's campus last year, I was unclear as to why he was a five-star recruit. He barely played. And yeah. when he did play, he was utterly unimpressive. By the end of this season, Jacob, he was a guy putting up 20 and 10 games, and it looked like it was totally natural. 
mm-hmm. saw him get better reading the defenses to you know attack for lobs. I saw his post moves get better. He needs to become a better three-point shooter. So does Khalil Ware. But I saw the improvement. I saw the growth. And when you look at Khalil Ware offensively when the season started at Oregon and you look at it at the end of the season with Oregon, it's the same guy. He can put on impressive moves. And when he when he's hanging in the air, turning over his shoulder, hitting up, trying to shoot a fall away, you go, oh, man. And when it goes in, you're like, man, that's unstoppable. But he'll go one for four on him and two of them might not even hit the rim. So <laughs> he, he just kind of has to tweak, refine and, and finesse those elements of, of his game. He's got soft hands. He yeah. just doesn't have a great feel for where the basket is all the time in terms of what he needs to do in order to put the ball through the cylinder. So that is not a refined portion of his game. And then three-point shooting. Almost every three-point shot he took this year was open. He's not hitting step-back threes. He's not hitting pull-ups in transition, right? It's pick and pop, swing the ball. to like He's getting good looks on threes. He shot about 27% from deep. There's no reason he shouldn't be 35% or above. No reason, right? And that was another thing. At the start of the year, he was struggling from beyond the arc. And at the end of the year, it didn't get better. Yeah. It was it was just the same. It was flat light. And I go back to the assistant coach factor. Something was just not gelling. I don't think he and Altman completely got along. The call-outs, the healthy scratch, I, I think that all kind of adds up in that sense. But you know, Hoosiers fans, I tell all you this not to say that he's a terrible, no good, very bad player. He's not. He has incredible potential. I, like, I'm not kidding. He could be a number one pick in the NBA draft. Yeah. If he if he stayed in college for three years, became a 20 and 10 guy, yeah, he could absolutely be that. I, I don't think he will, but he has that sort of potential. And it hasn't been close to being realized. It still can be, but further growth is definitely needed. So a couple things I want to touch on that you just mentioned there. Uh, start off with, he probably will play as the starting power forward kind of stretch for this year. How kind of closely were his minutes tied to the other centers you had on the roster? And I guess, how well did he play off of those guys? I think that was part of it. You know, it, it can be hard for a coach to look at a guy like Khalil Ware and the way he plays and to put him in over a guy like Nate Biddle, who works his butt off and yeah. plays ridiculously hard or in Folly Dante, who is also high energy, high motor, you know, uses his athleticism, enforces as well. And sometimes it looks like Khalil Ware was just kind of out there going through the motions, right? Yeah. So I think that was a, a factor for sure. He was not the only, or I mean, like I said, he's one of three seven footers Oregon had to play this year. So he wasn't able to earn that playing time. He had the greatest potential. I, I mean, by far, he's a better athlete than Biddle, who's a good athlete, but he's a better athlete than Biddle. And Folly Dante can't shoot anything outside the painted area. Like Dante was first team all pack 12. I, I thought Oregon was too reliant upon him offensively. But overall, if you look at those three going into this year, there was every opportunity, especially with, you know, and Folly Dante battling injuries from time to time. There was every opportunity for Khalil Ware to be at least option 1B for Oregon's post players. And, and he became option number three in in the post and and that was 
I, I think part of what led to him wanting to transfer is it just wasn't working there. He wasn't getting the touches, wasn't getting the playing time. And, you know, the coaching staff clearly didn't see enough from him to, you know, be able to feel confident putting him out there regularly. So I, I think it played a factor, but the, the opportunity, you know, I had no expectations for Nate Biddle coming into this year. Like at the very least, Khalil Ware should have been the number two center and he got surpassed on that depth chart as well. If all three guys have been healthy and Folly Dante is a starter, Nate Biddle is a backup and Khalil Ware is, you know, spot minutes kind of, kind of guy. And that's just, you know, a, a reflection, I think, of how he was playing and, and how the coaching staff felt about him. want to kind of keep on this subject for just a minute, mm-hmm. but we'll do that right after this break right here. So the other thing that jumped out to me with what you were saying, he's certainly going to be, I think, at the beginning of the year, one of the top options. He's going to get the minutes. He's going to be a starter, things like that. You were talking about how well he did in pick-and-roll situations. He he shot 60% at the rim this season, which for IU fans, a reference point, Trace Jackson Davis shot 65%, so not that far off now. He didn't take nearly as many shots at the rim, and – uh, as you said, his shot diet was a lot different. He took three-pointers as well. 93% of his three-point attempts were assisted. So he, he, as you said, is not creating for himself in that regard either. But overall, I mean, when he's kind of at his best offensively, is it in the pick and roll then? I don't think we know. Yeah. Well, I, like, I, I, on, on, Honestly, you can tell that question kind of caught yeah. me off guard. I don't think we know because – we don't know what sort of offensive player he's going to become. Like he didn't define himself at Oregon. He didn't have a defined role other than go out there and be a big body who we can get post touches to, but also work in the pick and pop game. But is he a stretch four or is he a stretch five? Do we need him down? Like he, he was kind of all over the place in that sense. And he, look, he, he can be whatever he wants to be. Yeah. That, that, that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. What does Mike Woodson want him to be? What does Khalil Ware want to be? Does he want to be, you know, a, a not super physical stretch four? Does he want to be a not super physical stretch five? Is he able to ratchet up that intensity level and be a dominant low post player who's capable of shooting from the outside? Like, I, I don't think we know because he was never at no point in time was he ever a focal point for Oregon's offense for more than two or three possessions at a time. And those were primarily low post touches. So maybe based on that limited sample size that, that I talked about, we, we would say he wants to be a low post guy who can also shoot, but there's no reason he can't be, you know, a stretch four who lives on the perimeter, learn to put it on the deck a bit. You know, he, he's got an array of post moves, as I said, that need to be, you know, uh, touched up and, and just get more consistent with. But overall, I, I think there's an element uh, of him being a blank canvas offensively with with a number of different options for the Hoosiers. Yeah, that's interesting because I think IU can use him in a number of different ways, and we'll certainly get to to see what he's capable of because he'll be a stretch four, stretch five. He'll be in the pick and roll. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for him. I want to finish this up talking on the defensive end where – uh, statistically, it looks like he played well on that end. He averaged 3.3 blocks per 40 minutes, which I know it, it extrapolates a lot there. But defensively, uh, what was he able to do this season? Was he a rim protector for you guys? Yeah, he was. I mean, his, his shot blocking potential is 
higher than anyone I've ever seen come through Oregon. And we've had some great shot blockers, Jordan yeah. Bell, Kenny Wooten, Chris Boucher. You, you go down the list, right? Those, those are the most recent names, but there have been other ones in the past too. Those are probably the three best that I've seen Bell and uh, Wooten in particular. Uh, and, and Paul Dante belongs on that list too. Where can block shots that nobody else in the country can like, yeah. He, he is not particularly fleet afoot. So a quick guard will try and knife his way around him into the paint and think, oh, I got it. But where is so long and his athleticism is so immense, he can block that shot anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were several times where he would block a shot and you just watch it on TV. And you know those instances, you know, when uh, a college football player is faster than the other guys or he's yeah. hitting harder or he's got a stronger arm. Some things just pop off the screen. And when Ware would have those block shots, they'd pop right off the screen. Yep. And you'd go, whoa, how did he even how did he even think he could block that <laughs> shot? Right. Like yeah. the, the, the guard or wing that drove probably thought, oh, yeah, here we go. I got by him. I got a layup. Nope. He's not going to let you do that. So he can do that. I think he was decent rebounding the basketball can still improve. He's not the most physical player. I think that's an element that Dana Altman and his staff were you know, kind of hesitant about continuing to play him because he wasn't a real physical guy. Like, and Folly Dante would get down there, grab the ball in the low post, push dudes out of the way, throw it down, energize the crowd. Khalil Ware would just kind of jump in the air, flush it through, run back on defense. Right? Like, <laughs> like he wasn't, he wasn't moving guys out of the way. He's not moving guys off the block. His game is a lot closer to Dirk Nowitzki than it is Shaq. So th that, that being said, defensively, is where he showed the most growth this year, just from an assignment standpoint, understanding the defense, where he needs to be, rotations. He struggled with that early. It got better, but the shot blocking was always the And he, he knew how to intimidate guys as well. You know what he really does well? He doesn't leave his feet. Yeah. He does not leave his feet defensively. And I think, you know, psychologically, it's probably because he's never needed to. Yeah, <laughs> but he's not a guy who draws a lot of fouls. You know, Kenny Wooten was only six foot nine. So he was a few inches shorter than than Kulewer, didn't have as long of arms. He got into foul trouble a few times because he was up in the air all the time. Kulewer doesn't have to leave his feet to block shots. He, he can just kind of stand there, roam, swat off the backboard. He doesn't have to have perfect timing all the time, but his timing, I think, got a lot better as the year went on. So I, I think defensively is where he's the most advanced, but that's only because offensively he is – I mean, he's, he's, he, he's hardly even scratched the surface. I don't even know if he has scratched the surface. He may have dinked it. Yeah, and the benefits of having a 7-6 or whatever wingspan is you don't yeah, have to anticipate arm, as much. His arms are long. His yeah. arms are – long they yeah. look long on tv yeah like if you do. just if you just watch him play the first time indiana fans see him play just look at his arms you'll be like i feel like one of those arms is about as tall <laughs> as me yeah that's what that when you said things popping off the screen that's what i noticed is like damn he has some long arms and <laughs> i can understand why he's able to to block shots that mm -hmm. uh, others haven't been able to so Spencer, I, I thank you a ton for coming on and, and of kind of providing all this insight. Like I said, this is stuff that I certainly never would have learned through reading articles or anything like that. So uh, in case that people want to know, let them know where they can find you and your work at. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at smalls underscore 55, but I host Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12 as well. 
Lots of fun right now. Uh, <laughs> all this media rights nonsense. Those are Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. But yeah, happy to come on. I think it's the first time I've ever been on uh, mm-hmm. the Locked On Locked On Hoosiers podcast. You never know. Maybe Oregon and Indiana could uh, could meet one day and we could we could do it again. I'd love to. But thanks for having me on, Jacob. Yep, I, I appreciate it. And thanks to you guys for making us your first listen. We'll be back. Uh, with tomorrow's episode to talk more transfer stuff as the dead period is over and the Hoosiers can start hosting guys on campus once again. So thank you all for your continued support. Make sure you're subscribed, leave that rating review, all that good stuff. Most importantly, though, guys, as always, Elio.